Hi, I'm Sarah Manili, and this is Sustainably Speaking, the podcast aimed at raising awareness about the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs. These goals were adopted by the United Nations in 2015 as a universal call to action to end poverty, protect the planet, and ensure that by 2030, all people enjoy peace and prosperity. The SDGs call upon all countries to come together in a global partnership to improve health and education, tackle climate change, and much more. In 2021, Georgian College in Ontario, Canada officially joined the global movement of United Nations Sustainable Development Goals by signing the SDG Accord. This podcast is dedicated to sharing the importance of making positive change in the world. We will share inspiring stories of organizations and individuals who are taking strides toward meeting these goals. And through these stories, we hope to inspire you to take up the challenge as well. Join us in our mission to make a difference and create a better future for our planet. Welcome to today's episode of Sustainably Speaking. Today we have with us Stephen Hilborn, who is a faculty member here at Georgian College and who also heads up our maple syrup production uh, here on campus. So hello, Stephen. Thank you for being here. Hi, Sarah, and thank you for having me. Absolutely. So why don't we start at, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and your role here at Georgian? Sure. So as you mentioned, my name is Stephen Hilborn. I am the program coordinator of the hotel and resort management program. I've always been involved in food and beverage. So my first job was a dishwasher and then working in kitchens. Um, And then as I kind of progressed through my career, I ended up working for a lot of restaurants and management and then eventually into consulting for breweries and cideries and wineries and and things of that nature. So I've always been interested in how food and beverage is developed. Mm -hmm. And then so how I got into maple syrup was it's kind of a fun story. Five, six years ago, I moved to the metropolitan of Washago. Okay. So a small little town. And uh, across our street is just crown land. And when me and my wife were walking through there, we noticed there was a lot of old metal maple syrup taps into trees. And the trees had kind of grown around them since. So decided that we should start uh, making our own maple syrup. And if you do it, you know, once you start, it just kind of snowballs and you do more and more. So I think we started with 20 taps. We're now around 100 Wow. Uh, last yeah. And then within the last year or last two years, I should say, we've been developing it here at Georgia College as well. I'm going to ask you a little bit about that and how um, we started that whole process. But first, I want to ask you, did you just learn all this just by trial and error? Like you just taught yourself how to do it all? Yeah. So, well, if you have to go and purchase the maple syrup supplies, it's it's not really so much of a store, but kind of a community. So. Oh. All you have to do is walk into the store and kind of ask anything, really. So I was just buying like a beginner pack. And I I must have been in there for an hour and a half, two hours, because everybody, including the customers, would come and talk to you about what they've done and where they are. And there's a lot of science to it that you don't really know. Mm -hmm. But as you go through, you start to really learn about it and you'll tweak your process and upgrade your equipment. So you can do it very inexpensively. Uh, and cheaply in a small fashion, and you can really invest in some major equipment should you get big enough. Okay, so tell me, how did it get started here on campus? And when? When did this all start? It started, it might have been our third season already. I think we've had two full seasons here on campus. Okay. I I believe it started shortly after we started putting in our gardens and really looking into our, our SDGs a little bit more and how we could be more sustainable. I think the at the time, the term that we were coining was our we wanted an edible campus. Yes. So instead of shrubs for that are beautiful, 
we wanted, you know, orchards and gardens and pollinator gardens and, and things of that nature. Brian Hunt, our dean, and I walked the campus and just kind of identified some maple trees. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we were able to find about 12 or 15 that were big enough that we could do something with. So mm-hmm. thought it would be more of a showpiece, right? So you tap the trees and people can see it happening. Uh, and then there just really seemed to be a lot of community interest and college interest. So every tree that on campus that's big enough to tap, we basically have. And I know that you it, you and our faculty and staff here on campus and students, I know, get involved a little bit from a, a learning perspective, but you run the whole thing. I mean, we, we do everything ourselves. And by we, I mean you and your team here in-house, you know, from the tapping to the collecting. And we make it right here on campus, too, in our, in our own kitchens. Yeah. So before we start tying into some sort of academics, you got to make sure it works. Of course. Um, and see where it fits into in a, to like a specific course. So we started, and it's mostly a lot of the chefs and the technologists of the culinary department, myself, because I've been doing it so long, and Brian, because he has his hands in uh, on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a kind of, a again, a community effort where depending on what day and who what chef is here, they'll go out and collect, and they'll boil it down and store it until we can have our final boil and, and bottling. And I know that it's a huge hit. Um, anybody who knows that we have the maple syrup want the maple syrup, and it's always very good. I have to sneak a couple bottles home myself where I don't get any. I know. I kind of sneak one behind my desk when I'm uh, labeling them. You know, nobody knows. It's fine. That's where they went. Can you describe the process of making the maple syrup? Like, the whole process. I know you've talked a little bit about it, but can you take us from kind of start to finish? Yeah. So... This was something that we, as a Canadians, none of us learned until we came to North America. And it's it's kind of been passed passed down from some of the indigenous cultures and tribes to us. So there's a really great tradition that anybody that you make the first batch of maple syrup, you're supposed to give the first batch to your local indigenous elder. Oh. The very first year, and that was great. Yep. So it's been, ta- it's been kind of passed down. Uh, and it, and it started very rudimentary where it was basically taking a piece of wood and, and t- kind of tapping it into the tree. But now the science has evolved. So basically the way it works is that the sap will flow in the spring when the temperatures are below zero at nighttime and above zero in the daytime. Negative two is great, anything below that. And then above two, three, four, five degrees Celsius in the daytime. And that really kind of releases a bit of the pressure. So then your trees will start producing a lot of sap so we'll tap all the trees there's different ways in which you can tap it there's the traditional ones that most people see which is like a tap in a bucket mm-hmm. so you drill into the tree you tap your spigot or your spout into the tree uh, on a somewhat downward angle just a gravity to help with that flow and then you attach a bucket so they always like they coined it tipping buckets it's basically collecting sap okay and then what you'll see now is that a lot of the larger ones will have them on uh, vacuum or pressure generated syrup. So they'll actually have tubes instead of the buckets and they'll have them on like a, a vacuum. Okay. Which you get about four times as much, but it is a little bit more invasive on the tree. I see. Yes. So uh, the length of the season can be anywhere from two weeks to six weeks. Again, you can, you can collect, you know, a tree can get you anywhere from five to 20 gallons of sap during that time. But the ratio of sap to syrup is about 40 to one. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. So this is done by basically reducing it. So what you what most people do is that after you gather all of your sap, you have to boil it. Mm-hmm. You will boil it to 219 degrees Fahrenheit. 212 degrees is, is boiling water. So because of the sugar content, it can actually start rising above 212. Uh-huh. Um, so it doesn't take it long to hit the 212 mark, but then it takes all day to slowly get it up to 219. And at 219, it's kind of that viscosity that you want, that thickness that you want. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, then there's lots of filtering and bottle and sanitizing that comes along with it. And then, of course, you can add flavors and stuff to your maple syrup through that process as well. And I know that you had a lot of fun this last year um, with some different flavors. I think you did a cinnamon and a jalapeno. Is that right? And jalapeno is the one. It's the one. Everybody loves it. Everybody looks at me like, wait, what? And then they try it and it's amazing. And we ran out. I, I should have made so much more. We ran out immediately. I love that. Any other flavor ideas, just out of curiosity? Uh, um, so we, we did, I tried two other ones. I tried an orange um, and I tried a roasted garlic. Oh. The orange the orange was a little bitter because we use orange peels and it has a, a bit of that rind and, mm-hmm. and that flavor went with it. So we're not going to use that one in the future. And the roasted garlic was actually really nice, like almost too garlicky, if that's such a thing, that it tastes more garlicky than it does maple syrup. So oh, okay. um, it's good, though. It, it is really great for like chicken and waffles or, or a lot of different proteins. Very fun. And yeah. I know that, uh, you know, as you said, it's hard to necessarily build it into an actual curriculum right now as we're going through the process of learning. But I know for sure you did have some students doing all the processes, right? All the steps of the process, at least a little bit at a time to understand it a little bit more. It was on a volunteer basis uh, Mm -hmm. for the first couple of years. So mostly food, nutrition, and culinary students would be a part of the, would be part of it. We used our students from the regional. Showcasing regional cuisine. The regional showcasing course. And they were able to help bottle and label and go through the whole process. And a lot of them actually use that maple syrup in their recipes. So we do use it there, and we also use it in our bake program. Now, we don't have the, the quantity required to supply as much maple syrup as we need. Right. So right now, it's more so about the educational process of how it's made. There's nothing else other than sap from trees. There's no sugar. There's no water added. There's no additives. It is as natural as it gets. So it's just really it's just a matter of, of boiling it to the right degree and getting the right viscosity that that's really all there is to it that's all it is wow okay i didn't even realize that and i've seen this process a bit so that's incredible Mm -hmm. so i wanted to talk a little bit about you know sustainability and how to minimize um you know the environmental impact so for people who are wanting to do this or you know even just yourself how how do you minimize that kind of impact on the environment if any yeah so you know, drilling a hole into a tree is not necessarily the best thing for the tree. Okay. Never has been, never will be. But, you know, through hundreds and hundreds of years of doing this, very, very few trees are ever impacted by this because it's such a small hole and you have to ensure that you remove them every single year. So the hole is only in the tree for about six weeks and then you remove it and they heal up quite quickly. Every year when you retap and you use the same trees every year, you typically move six to eight inches around the other side of the tree and you go north or, north or south of that previous hole. So you're kind of spacing out where you actually tapped into the tree. Mm-hmm. So it might take you four or five years to kind of work around it. You don't tap trees that are less than 12 inches in diameter 
And usually you go, you know, if it's 24 inches, 36 inches, now we're talking really big trees. You can do two or three taps per individual one. From a production standpoint, really, most of these areas, you're not tapping trees unless you have a, like a significant piece of land. Right. Um, and you get deadfall, there's dead trees that happen, there's logs, there's brush. So a lot of the, as you evaporate, we use wood-fired evaporators. That's the majority majority of hobby enthusiasts and maple syrup makers use wood-fired. So they usually don't ever pay for wood and they just collect it on their land as trees start to die off. That's right. I forgot you had mentioned that process. When you when you do yours at home, you do it over the, over the wood fire. Yeah, so, so fall's meant for collecting wood and preparing so you Mm kind of prepare for the spring season winter you hibernate and then when spring comes then you start coming out um and start tapping the trees and collecting okay and so i guess you know i was going to ask you about equipment um or technology but i think we've kind of answered that it's basically just a matter of the bucket the spout sorry is that what is that correct bigot or spout yeah no that's what it's called so, and then, so that's from like a very junior level or, or beginner level is where, yeah, it's outside your, you know, you have like, I, I'm using an old oil barrel essentially mm-hmm. uh, with the, the top cut out of it and stainless steel pans. And you just slowly reduce it over hours and it doesn't take a whole lot. Now, as you start progressing, they also have very nice, beautiful stainless steel internal units with hood vents that you can use and they're much more effective and they're, but they're usually electricity or propane. So the cost and the sustainability, you start to lose a little bit of that. And there's also RO or reverse osmosis machines. Oh. Which you can run them through and most of the larger uh, operators use those and you can re- remove about, about half the time that it takes. Cause so if you think about it, 40 to one and 40 to one is, sugar maples, which have the best sugar concentration in the sap. And I always like to think if you have 40 liters of water, you only get a single liter of syrup. Wow. Yeah, quite an intensive process. A lot of steam, a lot of water. That's why in Canada and in Northern States, it's fantastic to be doing this in April when it's cold outside because you're around this hot, steamy evaporator in it, and it feels nice to be outside finally. Well, definitely. And it, it's definitely a, a labor of love. I think you, you obviously really enjoy it also. Right. And it, I don't know, brings joy to a lot of people. I've seen it firsthand. It's every family member and friend of mine. It's our Christmas presents for everyone. Like that's, that's what they get. I love it. They wait for it. Yeah. So, you know, we were speaking earlier about climate change and how that could affect maple syrup production in different areas. you want to speak a little bit to that? Sure. It has. And, you know, climate change is funny because everyone thinks it's just warming and it's not necessarily just warming, it's cooling. It is just the the variability of weather is more so what I like to think about climate change, where it's, it's not just that we're getting warmer every day. It's just like we have more major weather incidences. We have longer droughts. We have longer floods. We have longer weather snaps. And what we've seen from a, from a maple syrup standpoint is a huge fluctuation in the, in the length of time. So last year, as an example, I don't know if you remember, but in February, we mm-hmm. were very, very warm. And we I had like, do remember. Yeah, and like we were breaking records and we had two or three weeks. So a lot of operators went and tapped all their trees. And you got two to three weeks of like a really good production. But then we went back into a cold snap for probably another month. Now, the problem with that is that 
Now all of your lines freeze, you're not producing sap anymore. So the trees start to heal where you've tapped. So they'll actually start healing over your spigots and your spouts. So we had to remove all ours and then retap later on in the season. I was about to ask that. So you did have to, and then you had to move them the eight inches, like the standard as if it were almost a new season. No, we were able to use the same hole because it wasn't, okay. it was just like a quick drill, like just a refresh of the hole, just so we didn't put an extra hole in the tree uh, more than we needed to. And it worked. And then we had another four or five weeks. So it, it technically it was a really good year, but it was strange because it was like, there's two parts of the year. And I know on a lot of the Northern states where, you know, like the Maine and Rhode Island and, and Minnesota and all these places that renowned for maple syrup as well. Yes. We're also seeing a lot of raised temperatures, so shorter seasons. And that just produces less, I would imagine, overall. It's got to be that sweet spot of negative overnight and positive temperatures in the daytime. Okay. Well, and as you said, though, it didn't affect necessarily what we were able to collect this particular time on our side. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And I also wanted to talk a little bit because I don't even know that a lot of people here on campus know that we tap trees or know that they're right next to our garden lining the M building. So I know you did a project too, where you made almost a maple syrup path with some signage and things maple like that. Syrup path. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's great. Yeah. So if you're a walk towards the college leading from the, the garden, you'll see there's four different signs and on each sign will tell you, you know, the first one will tell you exactly all the tools and the equipment and, and the the climate that you need and what you do it. And then it goes through the so through each step of collecting and filtering and boiling down and bottling. So it's kind of cool. It, it just gives you a little, you know, a little pathway of knowledge on how you might want to do something like this. You yeah. will notice that maple syrup. So it's not the stuff that you buy in the store, like the store bought Aunt Jemima, Miss Buttersworth, all the other other kinds that you can get out there. If it's called table syrup, that's not maple syrup. It's not natural. It's not real. It's flavored brown liquid. Oh, in the future, and I know that we're we're not there yet. But is there a plan, or or even just a a very far off plan to include this in curriculum somehow? One hundred percent. So we we do have a couple courses that are kind of entrepreneurial in nature. Yes. So they create their own barbecue sauces, and they create their own you know mixed nuts or whatever it might be. And this is in culinary. So we feel like that would be a perfect place for this to be in so they can create their own brand, make their maple syrup, produce it, bottle it, and sell it all within the same semester. <laughs> luckily, that they, it would fall within a semester. I love that. Uh, and then also from the food and nutrition management standpoint, now the food and nutrition management program really deals with long-term care retirement home. And that's where most of the nutrition occupations are. Yes, and replacing these processed white sugars with something like a maple syrup can help with the longevity of uh, the older population. And it's not, and you didn't know this probably, you can make maple syrup, or you can make walnut syrup, you can make birch syrup. It's okay, no, I did not know that. What do those taste like? Are they also equally as good? Walnut syrup has a nutty taste to it. And it's, and it's 40 to one as well. So it's the same makeup. Um, my brother makes walnut syrup. I make maple syrup. And we also do like a collaboration. I forget what we call it. Waple. Waple syrup. Because it's walnut. Waple syrup. I really? love it. Okay, you need to bring some of that in. We need to yeah. try it. it. It's just nuttier. Because sometimes that maple, if you flavor everything with maple, it's very anti-Canadian of you, but you might get sick of the flavor. Right. 
Thank so it, it's nice to have different ones. And then the birch one is quite mild. You don't taste really the maple, but nutty. It's more like a, like a simple syrup, like just like that sugar flavoring. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only problem with birch is uh, it actually runs a couple weeks after our season. Okay. Whole different tree. It doesn't need to be negative. It has to be plus at nighttime and just 10, 12, 15 in the day. But it's 80 to 1. So you have to collect a whole lot. Yeah. So you usually when you're pulling your taps out of uh, maple trees and walnut trees, you can put them right into birch trees if you have them. Very cool. Stephen, thank you so much. And for those of you who have not seen the maple syrup trail on the Berry campus of Georgian College, please have a look. It's right down the side of the M building. You can't miss it. I'm right next to our on-campus garden that we also have here. So take a look. And thank you, Stephen, for bringing this to the college. I think it's awesome. And as I said, people absolutely love getting it. Well, as a plug, I think we are having our Maple Winter Festival this year for the first time. And we're thinking of uh, having maybe an outdoor festival, which will bring in some local artisans, arts, crafts, different maple syrup providers, and then our own as well with a judging contest, and then maybe a pancake breakfast for students. I love that. Okay, I'm in. I will help in any way that I can. Amazing. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you so much for coming on to Sustainably Speaking. Oh, oh, oh.